Hello and welcome to yet another exciting episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, where we interview awesome entrepreneurs, thought leaders in a bunch of subjects, investors, and a whole range of fascinating people. In this episode, we chat with Alex Hyden from Closeify. More on Closeify in a second. Alex comes from one of my favorite guest categories, the you know under 25 years old business owners who just found ways to get it done and build something awesome pretty fast. Alex is a hustler. He's a sneakerhead, failed drop shipper, turned into a sales close closer, and then turned the sales closing skills into a sales closing agency, and then a recruiting firm where he helped other companies hire closers, and eventually creating the hiring platform, which is Closeify, where people can buy access to his database of commission-only sales reps and commission-only closers, uh, turning that business into a SaaS and then creating multiple spinoff SaaSs related to that business and a whole lot more. We start this podcast out talking about his current interests. Then we get into his journey, scaling Closeify, the best couple of investments he's ever made in himself and in his business. That's coaches, that's training programs, that's educational products. Uh, we discuss dropping out of college after two years, and as always, a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Alex as much as we did, and I'll switch to it now. Alex, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. I think we're going to have a really fun time chatting today. Yeah, appreciate it. I'm really excited for this. Absolutely. I want to ask you, you know, I've heard you on a couple other podcasts. I've followed your Twitter feed. You, know, you have this main business, Closeify, which we'll definitely talk about, but it seems like you have, you know, another project kind of in a pre-release beta test group. You keep tweeting that you have all these other ideas and you're kind of just seem like you're in a position where you're constantly exposed to interesting things. You know, you've learned how to build a SaaS product. You've learned how to build a service-based product. And what kind of on your workload has you most excited right now? Because it seems like you have like a, your bread and butter, but there's a lot catching your attention. So I'm curious, like what you're really juiced about at the moment. Yeah, I'm actually in a, a really interesting position right now because obviously my, the business that, you know, people kind of know me for is Closeify. Um, and then I launched a very complimentary uh, software company. So basically Closeify is to hire sales reps. Then I launched another software company um, that's like how to track their KPIs, end of day reporting, forecasting, stuff like that. Um, which like, those are both just like, cool. Um, you know, they both cash flow. They both, you know, are going to be able to exit someday. Um, but honestly, the most, uh, the most exciting thing that's actually come across my, my desk lately is actually, um, I'm back home in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And obviously I'm sure most people listening have heard of like Top Golf, right? Like you guys are familiar with Top Golf. Right. And so Kyle's been loving golf are, lately. So Kyle's yeah, all about the so golf. I'm um not are a good about golf. to say something about pickleball. Yep. Yep. So they are building Have you have you yeah, okay, you keep going. So like I played I played two years of college tennis for St. Louis. Um and you know, it's fun. I love tennis. And leaving college was very weird because ten, that was the first time like tennis wasn't my life anymore. Uh, so I started playing again. I didn't play from like October to like March. Started playing again in March. I'm like, oh, dude, this is really fun. I miss it. And then my parents got a house in Naples. I started playing pickleball a lot there. And I was like, dude, this is really fun. And now in uh, Columbus, they're, they're building, think Top Golf, but pickleball. So tons and tons of courts. There's going to be a restaurant. There's going to be a bar. Is this different it's, from chicken uh, and a pickle? What's, what's that? Is this different from chicken and a pickle? I, that's I a venue coming so. to, okay. That's a venue coming to Las Vegas, Nevada. 
that's like fried okay, chicken and pickleball courts. Okay, it's called yeah, chicken it's and a pickle. One. So this this is the okay. second ever locate. This is the second ever location of this one opening, and it's opening right next to our Top Golf. Amazing location. Um, and you know the the people that are building it believe you know Columbus can be like one of the pickleball hotspots, and so they're actually raising money right now. Um, and I mean, again, it's from coming from a tennis background, like pickleball is just significantly easier. It's like very transferable. Um, and so I've already beaten a U.S. Open qualifier in pickleball. And so I'm like, I just like made this little ecosystem up in my head. I was like, dude, I could like invest into this, this pickleball center. And then I could also like play and then I could, you know, push all the people to the center that I own a piece of. And then like, you know, you can get into like a merch or like a product line and then put it inside the pickleball center. I just started like building this like little ecosystem in my head that uh, has honestly been swarming my thoughts a little bit lately. So like, that's like the most exciting to me right now, if that, that is something that we're to pursue, because that's, that would be kind of like the first time that I could like actually combine passion with like my, my business mind. Whereas, you know, Closeify and my other companies kind of just like strictly business. It's not that I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't like not like those companies. Like, I, you know, I enjoy them, but at the same time, it's like, am I like kicking my sheets off every morning, like leaping out of bed, just like super excited to like, you know, work on those, like not exactly. Whereas it's very easy for me to wake up and, you know, just like go play pickleball with like my family or friends. Like, you know, that's something that's actually fun to me. So that's the most exciting thing that I've. Uh, had come across my plate recently. Yeah, dude, I've been I've been talking to people about this idea for a minute because my roommate in college, Jack, his dad is like a pickleball pro in St. Louis, um, and so he had told me about uh, what Lewis said, like the fried chicken and pickle place. I've got a couple questions for you. One. Don't you think that the the combination of eating and pickleball, like when I p play pickleball, I sweat so much. I don't know yeah. if that's a common thing, but like I just with golf and top golf, you're not like breaking a sweat, and that's my only concern with the business model. Um, and then two, just something you should know if you're interested in that business is that pickleball courts are actually the number one amenity uh, in new apartment complexes, and so I think from a demand side for people that are wanting to get into uh, or not get into, it, it's just going to become much more accessible over the next like five to 10 years. So I think um, you should factor that into whatever models you're looking at. Right. I mean, the reason that it's like, in my opinion, a pretty decent no brainer is one, it is the fastest growing sport in the country, uh, which is just mm -hmm. pretty crazy. And two, even if they, especially in somewhere like Ohio, you know, if they build them in apartment complexes, that's cool. But like, you know, they're not going to have league matches at an apartment complex. They're not going to have pro matches at an apartment complex. And they're probably not going to, you know, have like a bubble over them or something. So that way you can play indoors when it's freezing here in the winter. You know what I mean? Like if I wanted to play pickleball in the winter right now, I genuinely don't know where I, I would go except for, you know, maybe uh, there's like gyms where like you can like, bring your own net, but then you're like literally put playing on like a wooden gym floor. You're not playing on like the actual surface it's, it's supposed to be played on. Um, and so I think the vision is like, it's just going to be like the go-to like epicenter for pickleball in Ohio, or at least for Columbus in general. I'm missing the business model. 
like what are people paying for just a monthly membership or it's like top yeah, golf so or it's kind of like you rent a bay there it's a monthly uh, or so there's two options um i believe it's i think it's actually very similar to uh, uh top golf because i think top golf bay is like 40 bucks an hour um so the court time is 40 bucks an hour um or uh there's like a 99 dollar a month membership uh option where you can go anytime you want except for peak hours um and then you have to factor in they're going to be upselling people to you know like private lessons with pros and then obviously the pros whatever they're making part of that goes back to the club um because you know they're they're bringing in the clientele um and then obviously like the food and beverage sales are just also like a large part of it right like i, I was actually looking into like booze has to be huge right yeah i was looking into top golf um franchises and, like their numbers and i can't remember the exact percent i don't remember if it was 20 or 50 but it was a very significant uh percentage of their sales that comes from food and beverage are liquor licenses difficult to obtain in ohio i know in like pennsylvania it's very very difficult and they're like a neighboring state so i don't know if that's a consideration. I honestly, I, I have no clue. It's uh, like I said, the reason the reason <laughs> I think it's exciting too is because it's like, uh, it's you know, this is unlike something I've ever done before. You know what I mean? It's like very different than online business. Uh, and I also have like, as when I say I have like, I haven't looked into this a ton. Like, I have no idea like what the returns would be like or like when I would be expecting like get my money back. Like, I haven't looked at any of those important things yet. I just thought like, like my mind is just like damn bro i'd be sick to say like i own part of this because like in my mind it's like owning a piece of top golf i'm like bro that'd be sick dude i think that's i think that'd be really cool uh while we're on the topic i want to ask you about nick curios what do you think of him honestly bro i like him you know i i know people either love him or hate him i think he gets i think he's one of those people that you know because of some of the stuff he does on court he just gets a bad picture painted of him um uh, but i honestly believe he's a pretty good dude um, you know, he does a lot of good stuff off court. And then besides that, I mean, just like, he's obviously the most entertaining player to watch. You know, I'm going to be watching him tonight. I think he plays at like eight 30 or eight 45 or something. Um, and then, I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous talent, bro. Like it's, it's ridiculous. And so to see him, dude, he just has the sauce. He wants to give the 30 second pitch on who he is like, to see him mature and like compete and actually start to go far at the slams. I mean, I feel I mean, I'm really happy for him. I think it's, you know, good to really good to finally see. Yeah, I mean, he's just he's just got the sauce. He's a little douchey, but he just has that X factor. I mean, Lewis, he's just a spectacle of a tennis player. Like he doesn't really he'll like throw his racket down in the middle of a game, he'll cuss yeah. out the the I don't even know what they're called. He'll he's cussed out fans, he's cussed out opponents, he's cussed out his like own team like yeah. while he's there and he gets fined every single time. It's kinda like the Jordan like red shoe thing, you know. He just gets fined for everything, every match. And I guess tennis is another one of those, like, country club sports. And correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but it's like there's a certain spirit to the game. Yeah. And uh, he just doesn't doesn't care at all. It's, so, it's, it's so like, funny because it's supposed to be, like, the most, like, gentlemen's and, like, country club sport. And, like, for the most part, it is except for, like, college tennis. College tennis is, like, just, like, ridiculous and nonstop heckling. Like, it's honestly funny. It's, like... If anyone like that had never been to like a college tennis match, like, and they were uh, expecting something similar to what you just said, went to one, like you'd be like so shocked because you'd be like, dude, this is like not what I thought tennis was supposed to be like. Um, but like back to your point, I mean, like, yeah, Nick does a lot of stuff that like you know, I I obviously don't agree with on the court, but again, I think I think he does do a lot of like good stuff off court. Like I think 
I, I do think he's like a good dude. He just, you know, can't control his emotions on the court. Kyle brought up shoes. Uh, you sold shoes in high school. Was that like yeah. a sneaker flipper? Like, like a, oh, what's the website called? It's like the green one with the logo. And you know what I'm talking about? The, the watch is StockX. Sure. Was that like a StockX flipper? Or were yeah, you like, yeah, a, yeah. like a Zoomies yeah. at the mall? Like yeah, sales? Yeah, it was uh, I, I would sell. So it was actually, I honestly got really good at it. And the reason I got onto it, because I've only ever had one, one summer job or one real job ever. And I was actually just like working at tennis courts, like basically like sitting in the pro shop, like doing court rent. Like it was, it was, stupid. I made $900 all summer. Like it was horrible. And so I was like, okay, how can I make more money than $900? So I started flipping shoes and, uh, it got to the point where someone was like, if you just, uh, if you just make relations with like the managers and stuff, you can get them to hold limited releases for you that, you know, you can go and flip. So I started just like, and I'm like a 16 year old kid. So it was kind of like, like, how am I going to like make friends with like these managers and like, not just like have them like kick me out or whatever. Cause like, if you, you know, it's, it's technically not allowed for them to hold you shoes or whatever. Um, and so I just started like buying snacks for managers and like bringing it to them, like on their shifts and stuff. I, I'd be like, Hey dude, I'm going to like go to Annie Ann's and get a pretzel. Like you want anything. And like, you know, they'd be like, yeah, sure, I guess. And so like, I'd bring them like a snack and then like, you know, there's, there's even one of them that like was in a tennis too. So like we would talk about, tennis and I built report there and eventually I kind of just like built up the nerve and I was like dude I don't even remember it was one of the easy drops I don't even remember which one I was like dude like I really want to snag a couple pairs of these um I was like do you think you could hold a couple pairs for me and I was like I'll slide you like some cash on top of every pair that you hold for me and he was like yeah dude like I got you and I was like oh shit and so then all of a sudden after that all I had to do was just text him and be like, bro, I want, I want pairs of these and he would hold them. And it got to the point that I think it was like, it was the really ugly ones. I don't remember what they're called anymore. Cause they're like, they weren't like 750. I think they're like 500 somethings. I don't know. They're like the really ugly, like blocky Yeezys. Uh, I don't even remember what they're called, but I got like 22 pairs. And I remember I sold them all to a local buyer that like bought them all in cash that I like had networked with in line at like one of these places. And he bought like, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think I made like seven grand off all of those pairs. And I was like, holy, like I had never seen that type of money before, let alone in a day. And then I kept like doing that, like rinse and repeat. And then once I went to college though, I didn't have a car and I didn't have that con like a connection in St. Louis. So I was like, shoot, I got to like, I got to look for something to make money remote now. And that was kind of how the rabbit hole started of how do I make money online? Yeah. Uh, I missed in the chronology of your story, how many semesters you spent in school? Yeah, I did two years. Um, I technically, I guess I technically left a little bit early in my very final semester. I left, like, I just like literally left school like uh, a week before the semester officially ended. Um, and then obviously I didn't even have a full year, my first year, cause, uh, the thing not to be named hit. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I left early my sophomore year because, uh, once I started actually making some decent money, the focus very much so shifted to business from school. 
have three nine my freshman year. I think my GPA my sophomore year was like a dude. It was really it was like a one seven or like a two point Like it, it was horrible. Like I wasn't turning stuff in. I even forgot to take my midterm exam. Um, and then my coach was just like, basically said your grades suck. Like I'm not gonna let you play until your grades come up. But there were no more grades until finals, so I just left. <laughs> <laughs> And at that point, what was the business you were doing? Was that your sales agency? I was actually in Closeify. I was in Closeify and it was a very interesting time because I remember very clearly the night I left and the night that I got home to Columbus, Ohio was uh, the night that I paid the invoice for our developer to start building the new platform that was actually going to be like a more legitimate platform because the MVP was like super crappy. Um, so I remember how I got home, ate some dinner, and I just remember typing in the credit card number to pay that invoice. And it was like the most money I've ever spent at once, like by far. Um, I think it was like six grand or something, which was like a lot of money for me at the time. And so I just remember like paying that invoice and just like I knew I wasn't going back to school next semester. So I was like, I was like typing that in and I was like, shoot, this is it. It's like all in now, like just left school early, just dropped six grand to build this thing. Like it's time to go all in and take this seriously. Yeah, I like the like drama of being able to drive home from school. Cause like I went to school in Alabama, I live in Las Vegas. So there was no like definitive, like, uh-oh moment, like whatever, like I'm doing this thing. I'm just gonna drive for 24 hours now, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Is the, okay. but you can have like an F this, I'm going to drive like six hours north or whatever it is from St. Louis. Yeah. But yeah, I literally just like, decided, I was like, you know what? He tells me I can't, I can't play. It was, it was still like, you know, um, not lockdown era, but like restriction era. Uh, so the social life was really whack. There wasn't much to do. It was boring. We'd lived in a, not a dump of an apartment, but like it wasn't nice. It was a college apartment. So I was like, screw it, leaving, going home driving home and I just left. Yeah, what did your parents think? I know you said uh, that your, your dad and your family is like six generations of corporate finance. Like how did that conversation go for you? Were they supportive? Yeah, I was, it was actually really, uh, that was probably, probably has been like my biggest blessing so far is that like obviously most people's parents wouldn't uh, love the idea, um, but they were, they were really supportive. Uh, Cause it was probably definitely a, interesting three months for them because you know the other thing is they didn't really criticize me for how badly i did in school which normally they would have um so it was, it was like a really interesting span of months that you know they supported me through because it went from i didn't fail out but like you know just did horrible in school <laughs> and then i left knew i wasn't going back and then i kind of like sprung it on them one day i was like hey my business partner said i should move to miami so i'm gonna move to miami <laughs> and they were like huh <laughs> um and i was like yeah like i'm just gonna and i literally told them i was like I, I booked a plane ticket to go visit tomorrow so i'm gonna go look at some apartments and hopefully sign a lease while i'm there and they were like what like, i just like sprung it on them they were like okay and then i like got back and i was like yeah i'm moving to miami at the end of september and uh, they, they were super su supportive the whole time. I mean, it definitely helped that I was uh, like, I was making money at the time and I had a cash reserve. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a, like I didn't need a cosign on my apartment or like anything like that. Um, so it wasn't like a, 
super like it wasn't like a dropout with like no plan type thing it was you know at least it was like okay i'm like leaving school but i have this company it's going for me it's cash flowing for me i'm able to pay myself yada 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 hmm. and i imagine you can be pretty convincing as a closer so yeah i mean i, I was lucky i didn't even have to tap into those uh skills too much because I mean, <laughs> I mean i was you know i was gonna do it regardless because i was like okay like you know obviously when they were paying for you know, my life, they have a certain amount of leverage over me, but I was like, I'm completely on mm -hmm. payroll now. So like, if they tell me I can't do it, like they, they can't actually stop me. Like I was just going to go anyways. They probably realized that too. And that might've been why you didn't have much feed or much pushback. Um, so have you, have you been in, a, in Miami for around a year now? Yeah, just shy of a year. Um, end of this month will be one year. So what do you, what's your take? What do you think? of the city, of the culture, uh, I guess, you know, coming from a Midwestern background like you, it's a lot different, right? It's, it's a, a lot different culture, a lot different people. Um, I think the, it, the best part has probably been, you know, the, the network there. Like a lot of my friends there do very well. Um, the weather's amazing. <laughs> uh, our apartment is amazing. Uh, we got really lucky. We moved into a, it was literally, um, it opened one month before we moved into it. So brand new apartment building, you know, amazing amenities, like two jacuzzis, a pool, steam room, sauna, rooftop, like just out of this world. Like the first month I was like, it was just so strange. Cause so like, I feel like I'm on a 24 seven vacation for a month straight, uh, which was like just a weird feeling. Um, it, it's obviously easy, easy to get distracted <laughs> in Miami. Um, so, you know, you definitely need to be, a little bit more disciplined because it's pretty easy to uh, indulge in some of the nightlife and, you know, other things, uh, which I'm personally like pretty over like the club scene in Miami, like did it for a little bit, but like, I think that's incredibly overrated. Um, by far the most fun thing to do in Miami is to charter yachts, uh, just like 50, 60 foot yachts, get a couple of your buddies to go do it on the weekends. We'd probably do it like twice a month by far favorite thing to do in Miami. Besides that, just like the weather, uh, we go out to dinner a lot. Um, we live right next to like this giant outdoor mall. If you might know like the city center, if you've uh, been there. Um, and so we'll go get dinner there a couple times a week, which is one of our favorite things to do. But I mean, it's definitely like, I'm glad I moved there. Like it's, it's obviously a lot better than Ohio. I've flown my hometown buddies out a couple times. Um, so I mean, oh no, I mean, I really like it. Um, you know, I might, I don't think I'll live there like long term just because it's obviously a very fast pace and, and crazy place. Uh, but it's definitely somewhere that I like always want to have a condo. So that way I, I can always go back there for, you know, a couple months out of the year if I want to. I think that's awesome. And uh, you said it was a 24 seven vacation, but I think your business did double like the first month you're there anyway. So I don't know how you yeah. manage that one. It was so it's a very strange feeling and I actually I'm um, like after we doubled the first month I, I truthfully my first month there I mean I didn't just like slack off and do nothing but it got to the point where that was kind of like the, it was just like some of the first times that we had the free cash flow to like buy back my time right and to like reinvest in the new hires like bring on like a little project manager to do some like tedious things um and you know we hired like an SEO agency like a lead gen agency you know, we brought on like another sale, like, you know, all those things that, you know, would used to like maybe take up some of my time. And I actually like called or texted one of my business partners. And I was like, dude, I honestly like, 
I feel like guilty or like, I feel like bad because like I made the most amount of money I've ever made this month, but I like didn't work much. And uh, he told me some really good advice. that's honestly stuck with me for a while. And he's like, he's like, you know, after like flipping shoes and like being a closer yourself, he's like, you're, you're used to like hustling to make money. But um, he's like, you know, you hustle to make six figures, but he's like, you want to make seven or eight figures. He's like, the only thing that you need to focus on now is like, who to hire and like in what order <laughs> he's like that's really all you focus on is like you go find things in the business that and then it's like okay who can i go find to do this and then like in what order should you be hiring those people and i thought that was like really good advice because he's like you know again you if you're a ceo and you're doing a little bit of lead gen you're doing a little bit of sales you're in fulfillment you're working with your dev and you're working with client success like you're not a ceo like you're just like another employee in your business you know what i mean and so um he was like, yeah, you really just want to be looking at who to hire. And so when he told me that, like the mindset shifted and then I actually, uh, coincidentally, I started paying myself less. Um, and the reason that I started paying myself less as well is what I noticed is I started to get very emotionally attached to money. I mean, if we had like a really, really good month, I'm like ecstatic. I'm on top of the world. I'm like riding the super high, high, but on the contrary, if our next month was lower, then I, I felt horrible. I was like, dude, like, what am I, what am I screwing up? Like, and I was just going to like this big, like low feeling, like not like depressed, but just like felt crappy. Um, and so I was like, okay, how do I like stay in even keel? And so the answer is I actually just started paying myself the same fixed amount every month, you know, an amount where I can, you know, pay rent, pay for, you know, gas and insurances and food and all, and, you know, a little bit of fun. And so I was like, I'm just going to pay myself the same flat rate every single month. If it's a super big month, cool. But I'm just going to take that money and go hire someone else anyways. <laughs> and if it's, you know, a little bit less a month, like, cool, I'm still getting paid the same amount. Like it's no biggie. Um, and so doing, you know, those two kind of like shifts of like, okay, who can I go hire and who should I hire in what order? And then paying myself the same amount every single month, no matter what. Um, those were like the, the two really big mindset shifts for me because, it's easy to get caught up in a cash flow game, but my businesses right now aren't cash flow businesses. They're exit plays. You know what I mean? So like when I exit them, that's when I'll get to, you know, realize like the fruits of my labor. What has your experience been hiring and, and or working with friends? Uh, Cause you know, my co-founder in the data company I've been working with, he's lifetime, long time, best friends. And I think, you know, you, mm -hmm. I don't know if you live with your roommate also as a business partner yeah. or if he's an employee or any of those things, but I definitely think you've like played in that arena. So what has been, have you had things go poorly? Have you had built systems that have corrected or just get it right from the start? Like what's been the reason that's has, has been successful? I think we got lucky because I was like, I knew him in high school and like we had mutual friends in high school, but we didn't really get close until like very end of our senior years. Um, and then we both departed to college. He went to Washington State University on the very far west coast and I was in St. Louis. So we were like super far away. We'd like text occasionally. Um, like we didn't talk a lot in, in college really. We'd like, now every once in a while, I'd be like, yo, like you see this new business idea, like whatever, but like we didn't talk a ton. Then one day I was like, dude, I have more sales calls for clients than I can handle. Can I like train you on sales and like you take calls with me? And he was like, yeah, I'm down. And so like, we actually like grew closer together because we started doing business together. We weren't like super close before. And so I think, I think that helped us a lot because one, we've both seen like 
what we've both done for the business and like respect what each other have done for the business. So like he's our sales director now. So he like manages our sales team. Um, and you know, I know a lot of people advocate against doing friends with your business, but we've quite literally like never had an argument. Like, but if we were, we're also very, very much so the type of people that could like be straight with one another and be like, Hey, like this is bothering me. Like this has been an issue. Like let's sit down and figure it out. Um, but and I, I told people this the other time, like, you know, I, I don't need an employee to be, or even like a partner. Like it's, it's one thing like, yes, like talent helps. And like, yes, like certain characteristics help. Like I want some, want someone to be, whenever I'm hiring, like the number one thing I really look for is hunger. Like someone that wants to, you know, grow in the business and someone that's going to, you know, do what they have to do, but then, and, and more, right? Like, I don't ever want to work with someone that I say, Hey, here's your KPI. And like, their goal is just to meet KPI every month. Like, no, I want you to smash through it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, what's really important to me is, you know, loyalty. And so, you know, I think if you know someone for long enough, or if you get to know someone well enough, like you, you can, at least I think I can gauge if someone's, you know, going to be loyal. And, you know, that's the most important thing to me because I've seen some pretty, pretty messed up um kind of like partnership stories that were like they thought a partner was a really good friend or they thought an employee was a really good friend they obviously you know they steal like processes and they steal like ip and they go and start like competing or like helping competitors or like you know all of these different things and you know that's like where it gets really messy and so like for me honestly the most important thing to me is that you know is, is loyalty and that they're not gonna you know go and try to screw me over yeah, you can't let the fear of that happening stop you from working with people that you really care about, like your friend. I think that that's really incredible that you guys uh, knew each other even before college and were able to come together and build this uh, build this business. Um, so when did you hire your performance coach and what were the things that he initially taught you that you, you know, made it worth it? Yeah, that was probably the hardest investment I ever made because everything else up until that point had been a business investment, meaning it was like very direct ROI. It'd be like, you know, you like spend spend $100 and you're expecting to make like 150 back, whatever the case may be. And so it was very expensive too. It was like five grand for 90 days. And so I was like five grand for like fitness coach. And I had like a bit of an ego with like the fact that I already thought I was in good shape because of like college tennis. But then he explained how like, he would help me get like help get my sleep better, my diet better, like routine, like work routines better, etc. And so I was like on our first sales call, I was like, dude, like I just like don't know if I see like the return there. And then um I remember he texted me one day, and so I guess it's important to know I had to wake up at 5 a.m. every day for practice, and I wouldn't get to bed until like midnight, maybe even 12:30, because I was taking sales calls and doing outreach and all this other stuff. Um so I, I kid you not when I say I had to like like put like five ice cubes in my coffee after practice and chug a cup of coffee before my first class or else my head would just be slamming on the table every five minutes. Like that's not even an exaggeration. And um, and so I remember and I would drink coffee like all throughout the day up until like 4 p.m. because I just couldn't stay awake because I was always so exhausted and drained. And um, I remember I was like sitting at like my coffee table drinking coffee at like 4 p.m feeling exhausted still and he texted me and he was like dude like let's just get you in at, at 3k for 90 days like i'll give you 2k off like let's just get you in like i want to work with you etc and i was sitting there and i was like dude like i'm so tired like i gotta try something um and so started working with him 
in like November of 2020. And um, first thing he told me to do was to, despite how hard it might be, was to uh, eliminate caffeine by uh, noon. And then um, he had me get blue light blocking glasses. He had me um, do like a brain dump before I went to like no phone an hour before bed and then like brain dump in that like last hour before bed of like literally just like how you thought you did today, like business wise, personal wise, athletically wise, just kind of like write some stuff down just to like wind down or whatever. Um, and then um, he had me, you know, start waking up at the same time every day, which I already was, but then he had me, uh, yeah, well, he told me to try the cold shower a bit. I got like, kind of did the cold shower thing like not really i would just kind of like dunk my head under some cold water um which like helped to a degree i don't i don't do anything like that anymore but i, I like i was like all right like i know it's like cliche but i was like i'll give it a try so i would like dunk my head in cold water in the morning um and then probably the most helpful thing thing though that like he had me do was i used to just be like a very sporadic worker i'd be like oh, okay like i should probably do a little bit of this a little bit of that he had me um the night before plan out my next day. So I'd be like, okay, I get back from class or whatever this time. So like my first work block is from like 90 minute work block. And then he would have me write down like the three most important things I need to do. And then inside of those 90 minutes, how long I'm allocating to each one. And then no phone during that work block, like it's in another room. And I just started getting like a day's worth of work done in 90 days. Um, it's like my productivity shot through the roof. And then eventually uh, he also got me on like bone broth, which is just like good for your skin and stuff. Um, but yeah, productivity went through the roof. Um, and so then the business did start to grow even more so as a result. So it was honestly a really good investment, but I don't work with him anymore. The bone broth, how did he, um, what was his prescription for the bone broth? Um, he had sent me like a specific brand at one point. I don't actually remember. He makes his own like homemade now. Um, I don't remember which one it was, but I mean, we still like, but you just like drink it though. Like, yeah, well he actually, it was actually funny. He like, was, is there, a... you, you just like buy it at like whole foods, but he actually like told me even at one point to like put butter in it, uh, which like sounds like gross, but like, it honestly wasn't like horrible. Um, it's like butter actually does. Some, I don't know if you know, I actually did this for the longest time. Which, this sounds gross to me. People put butter in their coffee. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Kyle and I have both have been yeah, in and out of, of the butter phase. I still like it. There's a I lot of coffee. context for when it's right. Mm-hmm. Kind of depends on how many carbs are in your diet and at what point you eat your carbs. Uh, okay. So I don't I, know. Yeah, the reason I ask is because I've heard of people doing like a, a, a 24 hour fast and then crushing bone broth to like reinvigorate their gut health. So I didn't know if there was some certain like, you know, dosing or timing to it, but it sounds like you just drank it. Yeah, it was just like an every morning. It was partially it was like one, it's like good for like your gut, like your skin, like hair, et cetera. But also I was trying to, I was actually trying to bulk up because in college, like the last time I had myself like checked, I was like 8% body fat. I was like, I'm, I'm 5'11". I was like 148 pounds. Like I was like, holy, I was lean. <laughs> and so I was like trying to like, I couldn't eat enough because I was burning like 3,500 calories a day. And so he was like, this will get you like some extra like protein and calories and stuff. That's what I was saying to Kyle about this. I was going to drink a LaCroix during this podcast, but <laughs> it will make me eat less. And like eating is a weakness of my, like the bubbles. Some people just stay lean and you got to like strategic, like I'm my own performance coach for like the stuff that I'm like, I could do that. I could chew that gum, 
but like I know I'll be less yeah. hungry and I need to eat more. Otherwise, it'll be <laughs> like a stick forever. Yeah, yeah. that's not my problem. <laughs> Strengths and weaknesses. I don't think Kyle and I would hire the same performance coach. Yeah. <laughs> unless he's really got a, a wide degree of specialties. Uh, I want to ask you about a different investment you made uh, on the business side. I know you spent yeah. like $4,800 on Iman Ghazi's course or community. I don't know the right term yeah. for it. But kind of overall, and maybe like to this day, how do you evaluate? I know like I've watched a lot of Iman's videos and I think he's a very authentic figure. And I like, you know, I think that if you spend enough time with like him as a consumer, like you get a, a layer of trust and maybe that's your answer for like how you would do it generally. Mm -hmm. But how did you vet like that opportunity as like, because I think a lot of people like, there are so many horror stories, both with personal coaches and with like business courses of yeah. someone saying, you know, I spent $2,000 on this course and it was garbage. And then there are people who are like, you know, or like Alex Formosi with, uh, you know, I spent $100,000 for a day with Russell Brunson. And then it's like, that's the point where his like entire career hockey yeah. sticks. And it's, so th there's horror yeah. stories. And then there's yeah, like amazing stories said, in both directions. Alex, I know you said that you spent 50K or yeah, 50K and I think 12 months on, on courses and, and uh, things like Lewis is talking about. So yeah, even you've seen it all. Yeah, I've seen it all. Honestly, like, it ended up being the best investment of my life, probably, but for the completely, like, completely not for the reason that I bought it for. So I bought it when I was running my sales agency still, and I was on a call with the sales guy, and I was like, hey, I know your other students still run sales agencies. They're like marketing agencies and whatnot. I was like, you think it's still applicable? And, I'm, you know, of course, it was like, yeah, it's like the same strategies and whatnot. So I was like, whatever, I'll jump in. It was a lot of money for me. Um and uh, there was like a, at the time, it's now on Discord. At one point it was on Telegram, but at this point it was on WhatsApp. It was a group chat. And I think at the time there were like a hundred-ish people in there that were all, you know, more advanced agency owners doing at least 10K a month or more. And they, uh, eventually they learned that I was like a sales agency or like people just started knowing me as like the sales guy. And like they started like just asking me questions on how I handle objections. And they started asking me to review call recordings. And then they started asking if they could work with my sales agency. And then I was like, sure, like we're a thousand bucks a month plus 25% commission. They were like, oh, like Iman preaches high margins. So they were like, they were like, we're not gonna pay a thousand bucks a month and 25% commission. And then all of a sudden people were like, but can you go find me a sales rep? And so sure enough, I became this recruiter. And, you know, I, eventually at one point, once I kind of formed this, I talked to other people that had worked with recruiters of why they hated recruiters. The big one being, you know, these recruiters make more money on sales training than they do placing sales reps. They make most of their money from sales training. But, you know, if again, I, I preach this a ton on Twitter, on LinkedIn, everywhere. You can you can watch all the Jordan Belfort videos in the world. You can go to the best video sales training in the world. I put you on your first sales call ever. You're going to suck. Like, it's just as simple. Like, it's like if you showed me like a bunch of UFC videos or a bunch of fighting videos, and then you put me in the ring, like I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my ass kicked. Like, it's a very similar thing. Like you need to actually get repetitions in. Um, and so I formed that thesis. I was like, I was like, why am I trying to train people to like sell for these agency owners? Like, why don't I just go find uh, people that have already sold for agencies and like verify they've sold for agencies successfully. And so I said in that WhatsApp group chat, I was like, yo, like five of you, I'm going to give five of you sales reps for free. I just want a testimonial, assuming they perform for you. And the first guy that I placed, he closed his sales rep closed his first ever sales call for him. 
ended up closing like 20% higher than the founder, which is actually like not normal. Like that's like unheard of. Normally the founder is going to sell their business better than anyone else. And it got to the point where they were like, the sale, I was like friends with the sales rep too. And the sales rep was like, yeah, I'm actually like flying to Greece to go party with, you know, my client now that you introduced me to. And I was like, what the heck? And then sure enough, they like called me or FaceTime me one day and they're like, look, dude, like we're like partying in Greece together. And so it was just like wild. And so I was like, dude, like this is the hit. And then I was like, but that was like a lot of work for like five clients. I had to go do all the recruitment and then I was like, how to vet them. And then I had to interview them and then I had to place them in the business. I was like, that's like a lot of human labor. I was like, how can I take the human labor out of this? And the answer was to turn it into a self-serve hiring platform and I'll still do the recruitment, but to let the clients interview and hire for themselves um, and do the ramping process. And so then, you know, I was able to remove myself. I was able to make it more affordable. I was able to make it faster. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, this is a no brainer. This is so much better than working with recruiters. And we kind of just blew up. So, but there's, how do you, it's an awesome story, but at the outset, basically, like, how do you look at that? training program or like a hypothetical coach or whatever. And like at the out, like how do you frame the risk reward? Cause again, you said like the reason it was useful to you wasn't something you knew at the outset, or maybe it was something you expected just, well, I'm with high level people and something good will happen maybe. But like, how do you, how did you evaluate it before? Cause in hindsight, right, it's obvious, right? Spent 4,800, yeah. found an opportunity to print making 500 over and over and over again. But you, you didn't know that at the outset. It's like, what's your, cause any, I'm sure you've bought things since then. Like, what do you, what do you look for on the front end? before you know that things will or won't work out? So the biggest, the reason that I, I personally trusted Iman was he was very open about the fact that he still ran an agency as he was teaching about it. And I think that's very important because business in general, not just agency specific, it's like a very fast uh, changing game. Like what, what worked last month doesn't necessarily work this month. So most of the coaches and course creators out there, it's a funny coincidence because they actually started their course or coaching program because they actually failed or got capped out at, at what they were actually teaching. Like the amount of agency owners that I've either seen fail or get capped out at like 10, 20 K a month that they're, they're like, Oh, okay. Instead, I'm just going to go show a bunch of people how to get to 10, 20 K a month. And it's like, are you quote unquote credible because you got to 10 to 20 K a month yourself once? Like maybe, but like, it's just such a, you know, that could have been two clients. So it's like, do you necessarily understand client acquisition? Do you not necessarily understand sales processes? Because most people, I mean, when most people teach sales in courses that I've seen, like, yeah, they'll talk about how to handle objections and stuff, but it's, it's, it's nothing that you can't go find on YouTube. Like for example, and I didn't even know about this until like two months ago when I talked to someone that grew a software company, this may be one of the better investments I've made. He grew a software company um, from 60 K a month to 600 K a month in about a year and all through building a sales team and end-to-end -end sales team, SDRs and closers and sales enablement. So sales enablement is, you know, the different softwares that, you know, you give your salespeople. Um, and so we spent 15 grand for a completely custom HubSpot build. And so these people, when they talk about sales process, they just talk about closing. They just talk about handling objections and building reports and, you know, whatnot, where it's like the amount of automations and workflows and like, like in our, in our HubSpot CRM. So this is something like, like 99% of agency owners won't even have. 
we have what's called multi-touch point attribution. So we can see if a lead has how many times they visited our website. We can see if they're connected with us on LinkedIn. We can see if they've seen any of our ads. Um, we can see like what other content or like marketing material of ours they've opted into. And so based on all of those things, HubSpot's gonna give them a lead score from like one to 10. And then what we do in HubSpot is as soon as that lead score breaks a certain threshold, it'll add a task for one of our sales reps to call them and literally say, hey, I see you've seen our ad connected with us on LinkedIn and opted into our free program. Like it's time, let's like, let's talk. Like you're clearly interested. Like let's, you know, you want sales reps, let's get you sales reps. Um, and so like, you know, back to the like original point, like so many of these people that are teaching, like they could never even, they don't even know multi-touch point exists. They don't even know that go high level is not the CRM that you're going to scale to a quarter million a month with. Um, like there's just, they, there's so much they don't know. And there's so much that I don't even know. Um, and so the only reason, and I, I know most of them don't even run their own business anymore. And so the reason I trusted Iman is because he was very open about it. He had real sales calls, uh, that he recorded and put in this course and, you know, real client ad accounts that he'd put in this course. Like there was transparency. Um, and it was, to my knowledge, like really the only agency program where there's a level of transparency. Yeah. What do you think the difference between a salesperson, like average run of the mill sales guy, but between him and a closer? Um, wait, can you clarify? Let me ask you, yeah, let me ask you a different question. What is the X factor that a closer has? Yeah, so it's it's very easy to just like see you have five calls scheduled on the day and be like, oh, I'm just gonna take these calls and then call it a day. Uh, it's a different one to be, you know, between every break you have, every no show you have, you dig into your CRM, you start nailing follow ups, you start calling old leads, you know, trying to re engage old people. Um, those are the people that go the furthest when they have that hunger that I brought up earlier. Um, you know, I had a sales rep like that earlier in the year. Any break he had, he, he was sending messages on LinkedIn to new prospects, even though he didn't have to prospect and he was a closer. But he was always trying to keep his pipeline full and he would be cold calling uh, old leads that had gone cold for a while. And, you know, he would be uh, cold emailing. You know, he would be doing all this extra stuff. Um, and he just started smashing for us. And he actually set ambitious goals. He was like, hey, this is what I want, like, my income growth to look like. And he mapped it out. And we made a plan for him to hit that. And sure enough, like, he hit it. I like that question a lot, the, the X factor question. Alex, how do you use Twitter and stay productive? Because that's something I kind of always like, like it's kind of a cycle, right? Where it's similar to like the coffee cycle, right? Where like, ah, some of this is good for X reason. And then because of like the nature of it, you end up having too much. And then you're like, this whole thing is the devil. And then after a while, you're like, you know, I should be using Twitter again. And how do you, seems like you've yeah. avoided that cycle. So Twitter is one, it's like, I attribute so like I met my very first mentor through Twitter. I've, I actually have a business partner that I met on Twitter that helped me grow uh, tremendously. Um, I was very anti scheduling tweets for a very long time. I thought it, it just kind of like felt like inauthentic and like, you know, maybe quote unquote, like not me. Um, but then it's like, you're just like, like to your point, you're like sitting throughout the day. Oh, like it's time to like put a tweet out. It's been a while. Okay. Let me think of a tweet. Um, it's like, okay, like, yeah, it's a good tweet, tweet it out. Like 
hour later goes by, okay, she should probably tweet again, you know, she tweet like five, six times a day, like, let me think of a tweet, think about it, type it up, like, or let's do a thread, type it out, tweet, and then you're just like, you're just like killing dead time, um, and so scheduling helps normally, and I actually haven't been doing it lately, I actually haven't scheduled content in like two to four weeks, which is like, um, I kind of just like needed a little like reset the last like month i wasn't like burnt out per se but i kind of just wanted to like take a step back and like ease off of everything i was doing um so, like while i was home basically like kind of just like spend more time with family and friends and whatnot um normally what i'll do is i'll just schedule a week's worth of content every sunday night um and then if i am gonna like spend time like engaging like trying to like dm people to build like new connections um or whatever i'll like set a designated time to do that um, but Twitter's never been like, I, it really hasn't been that distracting to me. Like, I don't really get too interested in scrolling Twitter and like reading through, like, there's like very few people whose like threads I actually want to read. Um, so when they do, like I see them and I read them, but besides that, there's not many people's tweets that I'm interested in. I think a lot of people listening to this will be interested in apologies if this is a question you get pretty often, but a lot of people will be like, you know, I could be a closer and Closeify is going to connect me to all these great things. Like who? You know, at what point is someone a good fit? Like, are you accepting people? Like, what's the, from the, the other half of the marketplace, like the closer side of the marketplace, yeah, what's so the outlook for just, that kind of status quo? We actually just rolled out a new offer. So it's actually been like, it's actually been very difficult to become a closer for Closeify uh, up until this point, because to my point, like earlier, we're like experienced people simply like, and by the way, we've split tested it like probably a hundred times now, like literally every time an experienced closer is going to outperform a non-experienced closer. Like we've taken, we've taken sales reps from the quote unquote, like best like sales training programs, like multiple different best sales training programs. And they all got outperformed by experienced sales reps. Um, but um, so if they want to, so basically we have two different types of like closers right now. We have like our uh, experienced and verified and then we have unverified. Now, literally just like as of yesterday, Experience, like you normally have to have sold like a minimum of $100,000 in one of our clients' niches. So like if you've done like insurance sales, like that doesn't count. Um, it's got to either be like like marketing agencies or like info products, business coaches, B2B SaaS, like remote solar. Like if you've sold like 100, 100K plus in one of those niches, like, yeah, you'll go into like our, our verified closer pool, assuming you can show proof of experience. Um, and then you'll be working with like our flagship offer clients, the ones that pay us, you know, more money. Uh, but then we just rolled out two new offers. So like one's a lower ticket plan for business owners, but the difference is they can only post job uh, opportunities that only unverified closers can apply for. And so that's not to say they're bad job opportunities and that's not the, to say they're bad closers. They just haven't been verified by us. And so they're going to pay less money for that because it doesn't require any human, uh, labor from us like anyone can just go sign up as that closer closer type so we're saying hey we haven't verified these people they just signed up on their own so it's less expensive if you want them to apply to your jobs i think that's really smart i like that a lot i think that'll uh you know create a, a flywheel more people in the funnel on both sides which is what you want as, well, exactly. as so we're gonna then we're gonna then upsell yeah. the close and say hey if you want if you want to be verified you can apply for a call and then yeah. 
And no, it, exactly. They're, then the verification is just there. However, they do for these people that are also paying you, right? Yeah. So, if, so if they're like a killer, yeah. And so I actually had like this big epiphany probably like a month and a half ago. I was just like laying in my bed in my and it like happens. Probably every, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed. Every couple months, there'll just be like a night where you just like can't sleep. Like mm. at least for me, I was like I'm just like staring at the ceiling at like three a.m. I just like have this epiphany. And I'm like, we're like a platform or marketplace business model, but we're like competing like recruiters. Like platform and marketplaces are supposed to be like a volume game. Like we need more closers, more business owners, all mixing and matching together. Like we need volume. And so I was like, but how do we get it? Because we get we get so much traffic to our website because our SEO is amazing. We have we're like top tier at booking sales calls through end to end, but like a pretty small percent. We're like doing well enough to pay for our flagship offer and so we're like there's all this traffic that we're not capturing a penny from and so we were like and so then it just like hit me and i was like i honestly felt dumb for not doing it sooner i was like it was in this room so then i saw a hormozy video and he was like you get to six figures i don't know if he said six or seven but he's like either you get to six or seven figures by getting predictable client acquisition and you get to like multi seven or eight figures by extracting more revenue out of each lead or customer that comes in. And so I was like, well, dude, we have tons of leads coming into our funnel every single month. But to his point, we're only getting, uh, you know, money out of a very small percentage out of them. And so, you know, I kind of had this epiphany moment. Where I was like, we need to be a volume game. And so I had my devs building this new feature and it like literally just went live yesterday. Cool. Go check it out, everybody. If you own a business, if you're a closer, if it's, you're an aspiring uh, closer now, right? If you're an unverified. Get on the Closeify train. Yeah. I think it's cool because you kind of present less of like a, I mean, there's like an argument for like a nice or of like exclusivity and eliteness, but it's also like on the other side, it's like gatekeeping sort of, right? It's like, oh, you're not right. good enough. You can't afford us, right? And now it's like, here's a path, right? It's like when you're ready, yeah. you can like prove yourself in the, you know, I don't even know what I want to call it, like the sparring court or whatever, just the trial area, like prove yourself there and we'll let you in. Just like, you don't know where to get experience. Just go try and now yeah. you can like serve those people and it like will keep a lot of people from being turned off from you as like a brand who like thinks you know they're snooty yeah, exactly. or whatever. it's like we're not snooty we just like have a business to run and like you're not it's not yeah. gonna work out for you but now it's I mean, yeah. and like the the closers who are verified you know they become more in demand because they're now uh, the like seal team six or whatever right. versus like yeah right makes a ton of sense yeah i mean i can't even tell you how many closers we turned down over the last year that I was like, shoot, I could have been getting 25 bucks a month out of probably like a thousand people. I was like, shoot. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot. Well, Alex, where should we send our listeners? Where should they go to learn more about you? Maybe some tennis highlights. Uh, I know you're doing YouTube Closify. now. That's another project. I don't know what the, yeah. the main single destination is. Let the people know. Yeah, honestly, the most interesting place would probably the place where you'll uh, get the most value out of uh, they're following me or connecting with me on Twitter, just at AlexH459. Uh, or if you search Alex from Closeify, you'll probably find me somewhere. Uh, that'd definitely be the best place. Alexify from Closeify. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we greatly appreciate your time. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. That was awesome. That will wrap up this episode with Alex from Closeify. Three takeaways from me, and then we'll be on our way. The first one is about the importance of listening to signals and just quote, you know, doing something, right? So Alex needed to replace his shoe sneakerhead business and he just started doing online stuff, right? He started drop shipping. He started buying courses on how to, 
be a salesperson. And then when the first thing that worked, worked, meaning taking the course, realizing he was good at on the phone sales and just leaning into that, leaning into the signal of like, of all the things I've tried, this is the first thing to work, making, selling these courses or, uh, on behalf of other people being the closer. And then that led to getting a high volume of that, which get led to creating an agency for doing that, which led to him signing up for, you know, agency growth tutorials, which led to him joining a community, which led to him finding a problem, which led to him fixing that problem, which led to him finding another problem and then fixing that problem subsequently. Anyway, the whole story is just, he did, he did stuff, right? He didn't just sit and look at a whiteboard and come up with ideas. He tried stuff and was willing to fail, lose money, drop shipping, lose money doing these other things. But eventually he found one thing that worked and then just followed the signal all the way to where he's at now with Closeify being this really impressive business. Uh, that brings me to my next point, which is hustling got him from A to B, right? From feeling like he needs school to get a job or feeling like he needs school to be economically secure as an adult or feeling like he needs a job to be economically secure as an adult. Uh, but once he got to that point, that same hustler attitude wasn't going to get him from B to C, right? The proverbial six figures to seven figures, the you know, surviving to thriving. He needs that strategic thinking. He needs to put other people in place and just think big picture. Uh, that was takeaway number two. And then takeaway number three was his willingness to take risks and invest in himself. Uh, I saw him put out this tweet and I listened to another video from this guy, Alex Hormozzi. He's pretty cool. Check him out. Who has, you know, the S&P 500 versus the S and me 500. Really cliche. You're probably going to hear it everywhere now. I feel like I'm going to be late to the party on it, uh, but who cares? It's, it's a good expression. Cliches can be useful. And this one will be a cliche because it's so good. But, you know, he invested $3,000 in coaching. He invested $5,000 in this community. And those were substantial investments at the point in time when he made them. But again, not every investment worked out. He probably put thousands of dollars into dropshipping, lost money. But it's the willingness to continue to invest in yourself, confident that some of them will pay off 10 to 20x. Uh, that led to him having those outsized results eventually. Now, I've put a lot of money into this podcast over the years with the idea and the hypothesis and the confidence that through doing it, I'll you know meet people, learn things, et cetera, come up with ideas that will be so useful. It'll greatly hundred X the, you know, hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars a year just to maintain this. Uh, it takes a while to pay off because it's not clear which of those bets, which online courses will be useful, which conversations will be insightful, but one of them will. And when it is, and I mean, many of them have, right. Many of them have led to things like my past jobs, like, et cetera. Uh, it's just continuing to know that when you invest in yourself, the returns aren't as predictable as like the 8% and the S&P, but they can be super monumentally rewarding, the, the S and me. That's all I have to say for this conversation with Alex. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you're subscribed if you want to know about the next episode. Check out Espresso Displays if you want to have the power of two monitors everywhere you go. Links in the bio for all of that. And say hey on social media. Kyle and I are easy to find if you want to get in touch for any reason. That's it from me. See you next time. Bye-bye.